I'm on a series called Patterns of Praise, and when we get informed and taught the Word of God and then we could respond to it, we'll get biblical results. And so one of my patterns of praise that I've grasped is King David. In particular, I'm going to turn my focus and attention to the heart of the matter. Everybody say the heart of the matter. So we're to be heart people. And what I like about King David is that he was described and defined as a man after God's own heart who would do God's will. We are at our best when our hearts line up with our sentiments, our, our convictions, our, our dogma, our viewpoints, when we're authentic, you know. I think about when Jesus talked about mustard seed faith. We're to have faith as a grain of mustard seed. And I'm told that of all the kinds of spices, uh, mustard is actually mustard throughout. You, you grind up the mustard seed and it's mustard. You don't have to skin it or take a shell off of it or peel it. It's throughout it's mustard. And in fact, we're at our best when we honor him. You know, one of the bad situations in the Bible, some people honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. So you're going to notice the word heart come up quite a bit in this text I've chosen. It's the Psalm of David, Psalm 27. And so I want you guys to get a grasp on this. I have had so much help from Psalm 27 through the course of my Christian life. I have a phrase here embedded in Psalm 27 in the layer, amazing layers of David's expression of faith in the midst of battles emerges his highest ideal and uh, his highest ideal is in verse 4 but we're going to start out with just the context and I feel like I'm supposed to read it like I think David wrote it okay and so pardon me if I get now, I'm not going to get theatrical, but I am going to be fervent because I feel like David's heart was not just kind of droning in, as he wrote this. He said this, and I'm quoting from the New American Standard Bible. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He said, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me, not if, but when. He said, when evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries, and my enemies, hey, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me. And a host is another word for a multitude or a lot of problems. He said, my heart will not fear. Say that with me. My heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Say that. I shall be confident. So this is fearless trust in God. This is fearless trust in God. And it's a reality-based statement. He's saying, man, just like Psalm 3, Lord, are they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many are they that save my soul. There is no help for him in God. This is, you see, what I like about the life of King David. And for that matter, Abraham and Sarah, they in hope against hope believed they had the dilemma that you and I do. They were, their circumstances often didn't reconcile with what they were believing God for, but they were tenacious nonetheless. Uh, David, you know, he saw increased troubles and challenges around him, and if he had let it get the better of him, it would have diminished and blown out his light. But he said, hey, it can, my light cannot be blown out because the Lord is the light, my light and my salvation. And so then he said, therefore, whom shall I fear? It's kind of like, if God's for me, who could be against me? It says in Romans chapter 8. And the Lord is the defense of my life. He is my vindicator. 
He's my defense. A defense is a place or means of safety, a fortress, protection, to be kept safe from danger, attack, or harm. The Lord is the defense of your life and my life. The Lord is a, the strength round about us. And then he says, whom shall I dread? Dread is a weird, foreboding, sore spot to be in. It's, it's when you come into trembling and terrified to stand with your knees knocking, fearful, to anticipate with alarm, distaste, or reluctance. And so, not just to offset those feelings, but to overwhelm those issues, David starts out with the Lord. Everybody start out with the Lord in your problems, in your circumstances, in your prayer. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord, you know, he said, the Lord is the strength of my life. The Lord is the defense of my life. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Man, I tell you, when we have a, a security and a certainty about God's nature, about how good God is, how mighty God is, in the context we're in, in the context David was in, this was a slot in history. This is an expression of faith. God moves on King David and urges him to write this down. And it's the most potent and powerful, most wonderful thing. And uh, the Lord is my light. He's the one that illuminates my path. He's the sunshine of my life. He's the brightness. He's the one that diminishes the darkness. The Bible says light excels darkness. Even darkness becomes light in the Lord. The darkness that's pervasive in our world can be addressed by our God, our Father of lights. And we're to walk as children of light. And this verse will help us. This is, these are patterns of praise, by the way. This is how David is entering into his gates, exclaiming and proclaiming and communicating how big and good God is. And uh, this is awesome because in distress, in difficult circumstances, it's imperative for us that we establish right out of the start, God, you're mighty. You're a mighty God. You who created the heavens and the earth. You know, Jehoshaphat, he, 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 before he started to say, by the way, God, we've got a lot of problems here. He said, we've got a big God. And by the way, we've got some issues here we need your bigness to deal with. And that's what being a believer is one of our highest places of, of advantage. This puts us in an amazing situation because we can face off with the things that we don't have control over. We can look at situations and circumstances and it's like, this is not ideal. This is not what I planned for. This is not what I expected. However, God, you're God and you always will be God. And you cause all things to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So I want to, you know, be secure in my calling. That let the brother that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So that having done all to stand, we stand and be fervent and assured on this. And I think David was assuring himself in the Lord. In this pattern of praise, he's saying, Lord, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Of whom shall I dread? He, you know, he said, man, when evildoers came upon me, hey, they stumbled and fell. So he had some testimony at this point in his life. At this stage of Psalm 27, he had been through a few things. So he was pulling up the testimony of how God brought him through. Has the Lord brought you through some things? I said, has the Lord brought you through some things? 
And you need to not just affirm that to humor me, you need to have that amen fixed in your spirit and stir yourselves up by way of reminder and cast down those evil forces that try to come on you. And you gotta stop and sometimes say to the minute that's coming at you, you need to say, wait a minute. And you need to remind, put it on pause and then go back and pull up from when God brought you through the, the situations of your life. Everybody say, the Lord's been good to me. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Now, this is, however, what emerges and is embedded here that really makes it the essence of this psalm. Because this psalm is almost like, like a battle drum, bang, bang, bang. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my defense. The Lord is my deliverer. The Lord is my help. And then, yet he goes, pause. The big deal, though, however... Is verse four, he says, one thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek. And I think this might be, this is David. And this might be why when David died and Solomon had the opportunity to step up and receive responsibility and he, he prayed a specific way. He said, God, I, I wanna have, this is an overwhelming task, so I need wisdom. I need knowledge and wisdom. And he said, hey, God said to him, hey, because you didn't ask for the life of your enemies and you didn't ask to win the lottery and you didn't ask for all the bonanza of life and you asked for wisdom and knowledge, I'm gonna give you wisdom and knowledge and I'm gonna give you a battle strategy and I'm gonna give you the victory and I'm gonna, because you had, they kept the one thing, the one thing. When Jesus visited Mary and, and Martha's house, Martha was perceptive to realize it was a moment and invited Jesus into her house. But she got distracted with her preparations. And this is an exhortation to all of us believers because service, the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all and we are not called to step down from service. I've heard people use this during Thanksgiving and say, oh yeah, Martha was the one that waited on and cleaned, did the dishes and, and I, I, you know, so I'm not gonna do that Martha thing. So I know, help with the dishes. But, but what it really means is Mary she had chosen the good part. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his word. There was just a moment. He said, oh, she's, I could do the pots and pans in a couple of minutes. Just soak them. Put them in the sink. Put some water on them. Put a little Dawn in them. We'll take care of it. We'll get them later. Get the scouring pad. Put it off so I don't forget it. Because I want to hear the word. I don't want to be distracted. And uh, Paul said, you know, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. I know how to abase and how to abound. I can get along in humble means. I get along in abundance. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And... Uh, he said, I've learned the secret, you know, and, and the secret is this one thing I have asked from the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, close proximity, closeness to the Lord. This is the priority of David's life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. It's a mystery verse in the New Testament. Though you've never seen him, you love him. Isn't that amazing? When you boil down the Christian life, isn't it kind of fascinating? We're, we're called to give our lives to unseen realities. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. And there's not a whole lot of sensory reinforcement. And on the occasions when there is sensory reinforcement, it's just a little encouragement and it's mainly for the lost because they're looking for signs. We don't base our lives on sensation and goosebumps and so forth, although it's wonderful when we have that we can literally tangibly sense the presence of God. It's a walk of faith. David was not somebody in a special category, mystic, 
who had all some, something different than what's available to us. In fact, dare I say that what we have is actually better than what David had to deal with. He had an old covenant, which was a holy covenant and beautiful connection with God, but there were still issues that hadn't been resolved that the cross has resolved. And the Bible says in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that we have a new covenant inaugurated on better promises. In Hebrews 11, it talks about how there's fulfillment for Enoch and Abel and, and Noah and Abraham and so forth through us. If you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11. So David was longing for what we have, but yet even in his context, he says, man, I've got a passion to fellowship with God. And don't you know, the devil is bearing down and working the hardest against you and me and us to maintain that kind of flow. You know, he doesn't mind us learning 12 steps and going to, you know, learning all kinds of principles. But man, we start moving into the presence of the Lord. We start moving into his glory. We start moving into a fellowship and deeper connection with that awareness. Man, it's threatening to the forces of darkness. And it's hugely beneficial to our spiritual life and resolve. Our Christian lives take on another form when we have this verse four priority, this one thing I've asked of the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, you know, in Revelation, it says that in chapter three to the Laodiceans who had grown shallow and spread out and kind of dull and the Lord was gently rebuking them and he said, look, I'm standing at the door and knocking and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And I'll dine with him and he with me. Meaning, deep, intimate, close fellowship. Hallelujah. This may have eluded you. This is, in fact, what the enemy is working the hardest to hinder us in. And this is why David was adamant about it. He said, man, I'm fighting my fight, you know, but I'm not, this is not my main identity. My main identity is not as a warrior, although he definitely was a warrior king. He had to fight. He fought the fight of faith. But his main thing was this one thing. Verse four, the big deal. I want to keep the big deal, the big deal. I'll tell you, I felt the first part of the service refreshed personally. And you know, I suspend my focus of, I got to get ready to minister the word to the people and do a good job. And I have responsibilities as a pastor. And for that moment, I just a, a worshiper of God. I think that happened to David. David was a king. He was a warrior. He was a writer of so much, so much of the best song list of anybody. But there was a time he came in from a battle and he was dancing before the Lord and his wife thought it wasn't very dignified. It doesn't advocate that we be silly and move into a frenzy. It just means make the priority loving God more than anything else. More than, he, he, he loved God more than he cared about the fame in his life. He loved God more than the sophistication of the, the, the bells and whistles that came from uh, the things he produced and did. His highest crowning achievement of his life was that he had a heart after God. He was a man after God's own heart who would do all of his will. All of his successes and all of his failures boil down to that description. A Dave, David, a man after God's own heart who would do all of God's will. And I just pray in Jesus' name you and me and us and we all live in that slot. And then he gets in this again and he goes, For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle and the secret place of his tent he will hide me. Now there's a secret place. 
The secret things belong to the Lord. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray, go into your closet, close the door, pray to your Father who's in secret. The Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I think there's something profound that can happen out of our devotional life, out of even a church service like this. There can be outcomes to these kinds of things. We give our time to this. This is David's highest ideal. He wanted to really dwell with and connect with and fellowship with God. Remember the beginning of the early church when they were all despondent and the Lord instructed them to go into the upper room and pray. Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere till you're clothed with power from on high. So they were praying in the upper room, 120 of them, men and women, and the Holy Spirit came upon each and every one like fire. They walked out of the building changed. You could see it as an example in Peter. Peter stepped out in Acts chapter 2 and preached this amazing message. You could tell his life had been changed by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection of Jesus, the new birth, the blood that had been shed did an amazing thing in people. But one of the interesting comments was made about Peter and John. They were business owner, fishermen from Galilee. So you know they had a lot going on, but they didn't have the advantage of some of the prestigious development of education like Paul the Apostle had. So they even said to them, almost in a disparaging way, they, were un they could tell they were unlearned men, like they didn't have the advantage, but they could tell they had been with Jesus. Yesterday at the airport, we watched a lady tend to an elderly woman that had a cane, and she went over to the flight attendant, and the lady was negotiating to get them to have early check-in and so that they could get help. The lady was an elderly lady and had some issues, physical issues, so the, the, the flight attendant was polite and said, oh, yeah, yeah. So I said, is that your mom? No, it's my friend. They're my friends, but, and I just... I started watching this lady, and the lady, she was uh, bumped up to first class, so she got a cookie at the end of her lunch, and I saw her folded up in a napkin, and she got up, and she walked past all of us down the, and she went and gave it to the, her, the lady, so I saw that, and uh, when we got out of the airplane, I was walking out, and I just said, hey, that was cool, I saw you run that cookie back to that lady, and she said, do I know you? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know. She goes, you look so familiar. So the flight attendants all knew, because they're based out of St. Louis, so they said, are you that church guy? You do those commercials? So they knew it, but she's from Los Angeles, so she and I had never met. And she said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, where? And I said, here. She goes, well, that's not it. And I said, well, are you? She said, I'm a Christian. I said, okay, then you know what it is? And she said, what? I said, it's a family resemblance. <laughs> she said, it's, we're kindred spirits. I said, yeah, and she's from the Philippines, you know, and the lady that was, she was helping was another family from the Philippines, and uh, I just thought we could both tell we had been with Jesus, and I said to her, I said, that, you know, it makes sense why you're doing this extra steps of, of care. You know, some people are nice. They're not saved, but they're nice, and that comes from God making us in the, his image, and, you know, it gets really activated, I think, even more significantly. Have you guys noticed, since you've become Christians, there's an added dynamic of something, a quotient of something, actually of someone. Yeah. It's that Galilean accent. Remember when Peter was denying Jesus, and imagine how he feels, you know, in his, <laughs> his history. 
It's like, don't quote that so much. You know, don't quote that. Quote Acts chapter 2 when I preached after I came out of the upper room. But don't quote that when I was denying Jesus three times. What did the slave girl say at the fire? Weren't you with him? You know, you, are Gal- you have that Galilean accent. This is what David said. I want to have that connection and that fellowship with God. But if anyone is in Christ, they become a brand new creation. And it's not really even trying to juggle all the doctrine. It's not really even trying to be, and it's important that we be doctrinally sound. But the main thing, the one thing that I desire of the Lord and that I shall seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And you know, like the the old hymn, just a closer walk with thee, grant it Jesus if you please. He said, one thing I've desired, this I shall seek. But then he says, listen, in the day of trouble, he's going to protect me and conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. Corey Ten Boom, she wrote a book, My Hiding Place. And her whole point was God was, his, God was protecting her through the course of the World War II and the viciousness of the hatred of the society that was going on at the time. You know, listen, you think it's bad now? There have been times in history like the early church and the atmosphere of the early church, the, the harshness, the pre-Christian world that was so evil and didn't even know its own sin. It was wicked, and they thrived. Daniel thrived in Babylon. Joseph thrived in ancient Egypt. Paul thrived in the Roman Empire. He busted into those cities like Ephesus and Corinth and Rome, and he got up in there and said, Jesus is Lord. So, well, what's a Lord? You know, they, they had concepts of mythology and, you know, Zeus and all this other stuff. And he comes in with this monotheistic one true God and this exclusivist message that Jesus is the only way. And this importance, hey, listen, back at the beginning of humanity, it wasn't just, we're not just nature products that came from molecules. In the beginning, God created, was fostered in the Jewish faith, and that's been handed down into generations. And in fact, that's the best of Western civilization. Those truths are the foundation and core of stuff that people don't even know what to be thankful for, but that's the reason why there's so much blessing. Because the truth of the word of God, that God, there's, there's evil, there's good, God is holy, man has sinned and, sinned and fallen, there's a necessity for salvation, Jesus is including us and accepting us. If we'll call upon his name, we'll be saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. People need to understand what to be saved from. This is why we're committed to jump. We will not lose a generation. We will not become dull. We're not going to get lukewarm. We're going to get on fire by the grace of God because our God is a consuming fire. And we're not admonished to whoop it up, but God does want us to get singular and in this singularity, get focused and targeted with God. It's one thing I've asked. And right embedded in the layers of all this amazing fight talk, he's talking smack here. He's going, he's trash talking the devil. Hey, man, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord is the strength of my life. Pop. You know? And then he, but yet he goes, but I'll tell you what, time out. I just want to love you, God. Because I'm not strictly in the battle mentality. I'm a lover of God. He's the one that supplies faith. I fight the good fight of faith. But my fight is to stay in the secret place, stay tender before God. And in fact, tonight, during praise and worship, it peeled off some layers off of this onion. Just tell you, I appreciate it. It makes me want to come back on Friday nights. 
see what the Lord's going to do. Because I want to press into this thing. So let's just quickly read the rest of this. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. Now, here's a breakdown of a few things here. He said, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. God says, seek my face, and he goes, your face I will seek. My heart said, not just a superficial. Can you tell the difference when you're in church, you say amen or glory to God or something, and it's like, I didn't really mean that. Amen, glory to God. Just the heart connection. When you do something with meaning, I tried to witness. I got kind of, it's an interesting and sad test, but I got, I knew I needed a witness to a guy, and I just, my heart really wasn't prepared. And so I just went, bleep. And it just wasn't quite like it could have been. So I want to be a heart person, don't you? We're to be heart people. He said, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. And I'll tell you, I'm married, and I like Patsy's face. And when I'm looking at her face, it's different than just standing next to each other. Or, you know, we made lunch together, so we're doing a bunch of stuff busy. And that's kind of cool. There's something about looking into each other's eyes. And in fact, I'll just tell you something very interesting. A lot of people ask me what it was like when I was lost at sea. And you know, I thought about Patsy's face. Yeah, because she's, you know, I thought about Patsy's face. I saw her face as part of the litany of things that happened to me. I thought about my family. I thought about the responsibility of the church, the future, the vision. I thought about Jesus. I'm thankful to say I've thought about Jesus. Primarily, when I hurt my eye on Monday, the week, and I hit myself in the eye with a, with a lead weight from my fishing line, I'm happy that I was like crying out to the Lord. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have help. You have been my help. You have been my help. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me. So there are a few points here. Look what it says here. He says, hear me, hear me. You know, it's, I'm glad that God's ears are inclined to the prayer of the upright. You know, I remember, you know, do you hear me? Are you listening? You know, there's, faith comes by hearing. But did you know, one of, I think, the biggest privileges of our Christian life is that God even bothers to focus on us. And, and in my mind, as big as the universe is, he could be just, oriented differently, doing a whole lot of other stuff. Pantheism thinks there might be God, but he's definitely not involved with humanity. Whereas the Christianity says, Jesus' very name is Emmanuel, God with us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but hear me, teach me, teach me, Lord, teach me. How many of you realize we're life learners? We're enrolled as students. That's one of the definitions of being a disciple. And we are at our best when we stay teachable. And so the very attitude of teach me, David is implying. Someone who's become, at this point, pretty sophisticated as a king, as a leader. Everybody say teachable. teachable. Everybody say remain teachable. Remain. Now say this to, about yourself. I am, I am teachable. Now say this with me. I have a teachable spirit. I have a teachable spirit. Malleable is not manipulated. It's not a lemming. It's learning. 
There's a big difference. There's a big difference. You get around people that are unteachable, it's like, but man, there's something when somebody's wanting, always wanting to learn something new, always hungry for more, hungry for more. Everybody say hungry for more. Lead me. Lead me implies submission to leadership and authority. God, you're my God. It's, and not my will, but your will be done. God, I want to keep cultivating a passion. Please help me, Lord Jesus. God, it's not all about me. What do you want? What do you want to do with my life? Teach me. Hear me. Teach me. Lead me. I'm here. I'm yours. I'm your follower. A lot of people in the world right now, I'm nobody's follower. I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm following my, I have my own course. I'm my own destiny. I have my own destiny. Well, you know, like Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. And then he says, he says some do nots. He's asking God. And I've noticed this in my prayer. I don't want to be this guy that's always believing God for what won't happen. It's funny. But yet David has a bunch of those. I want to be the proactive guy, believe in God for the world. God, the nations, billions of souls, everybody healed, signs and wonders following. Instead of God, I pray that in Jesus' name this doesn't happen. But we, we have to do some of that. And here's what he says. He says, do not hide your face from me. Do not hide. He says, when, you're, when you said seek my face, my heart said, your face, O oh Lord, I will seek. Please do not hide your face from me. God's not hiding from us, but he is hiding things for us. And he's wanting us to seek. Hallelujah. And he says, don't turn me away in anger. Don't turn me away in anger. Aren't you glad we're not destined for wrath and that the wrath of God was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ and to his horror, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's another thing. He said, do not abandon me. He said, why have you forsaken me? So many people are concerned about abandonment abandonment, abandonment, and do not forsake me. Do not forsake me. I, I suppose this would be my testimony concerning these episodes I've gone through. He's never left me and he's never forsaken me. He was with me in trouble. He was with me in the ocean. He's with me in the dark black night with no light, with nobody around. He's with me in the helicopter when my friend was dying and God raised him up. He doesn't even know. I had to wait around in the hospital for 11 days he didn't even remember anything. I had, God instructed me to be there to tell him what happened so he wouldn't be traumatized by bewilderment. I had to explain it to him. He went, what? Huh? He didn't even know how much God delivered him. Teach me your ways. Lead me. Don't forsake me. Deliver me. Don't deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen up against me and such as breathe out violence. I'm finishing now. Verse 13 and 14. Let's all stand and let's read this out loud together. This is to me so helpful. This is so helpful. This is David's layer of proclamation of faith. Now I want, to read, I want you all to read this out loud with me. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, David said, I would have despaired. I would have become cynical. I would have become bitter. I'd have caved in. I'd have been freaked out. I'd have backed off. I'd have been intimidated. I'd have become sheepish. I'd have become disinterested, detached. And I would have been in a survivalist mode. And I wouldn't have provided leadership. And I wouldn't have stepped up. Unless I had believed, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Say this with me. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Listen, these points, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Of whom shall I dread? And so forth. We stagger not at the promises of God, but we grow strong in faith. And these are the patterns of praise. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I shout joyfully unto the Lord because I have assurance. He shows up. He's faithful. And as long as I keep pursuing him in this one thing, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto, unto me. This is my bias. This is David's bias. This is our faith. Teach me this. Lead me in this. A little of this will go a long way. I'll just tell you what's happening is this is feeding your faith and it's starving your doubt to death. This is fueling a sense of confidence in the, in the outcome of what God's believing you. Listen, there's a kid who was working in a Mexican restaurant from our church. He got some cleaning chemicals on his foot and it started burning. It was so caustic that it went into his sock and his shoe. He took his shoes and socks off, but it burned his foot so severely and it was a really touch-and-go bad situation. You know that guy got totally restored. He would have despaired unless he had... And, and you know, I got around his family. His family had a faith bias. They weren't like, everything's fine. It's like, this is serious, but God is good. Yeah. And this is another thing I like about church, is it's, it's reality-based. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has huge regret for the sin and the consequences of it. Thankfully, Jesus came and covers us with his shed blood. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In fact, I come against this revenge orientation. Can you imagine if humanity really got what they're wanting for themselves? It would be, everybody would be dissolved. Everybody, because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So when David is saying things like, don't, Abandon me, don't turn your face in anger away from me, don't forsake me. Ultimately, it's because he doesn't, he won't, he's always faithful. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I just pray strength on you, whatever you're going through right now. I know it's real to you, and I don't want to trivialize one bit of it. It could be a serious, serious deal. You know, I found out a couple people I deeply love died this week, so I'm having to work through the loss. And that's a big deal. But even if you're just going through a, a breakup or, a, or your bank account is like a little depleted or whatever, it is all important to the Lord Jesus. But nothing more important than this one thing. Let's lift up our hands. Say this with me. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Say this with me. I would have despaired unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living.